Welcome to Engage in Parenting, the Bridgeway podcast on parenting kids and teens. We're here to talk specifically about the glorious and terrifying work of parenting teenagers in our culture, why being spiritually and culturally informed is essential, and discussing practical tips on how you can parent confidently and watch your teenagers thrive. My name is Pastor Cliff, and I'm here with Pastor Matt, and we are in... Hello. Hello. We are in part two of talking about this space of how do you deal with school online and being at home. And I'll tell you what. Your teens and learning in the home. Exactly. And if, if you did not listen to part one yet, uh, pause this episode and go back to part one because that it'll give you some more context uh, of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, it's under 30 minutes and it gives you kind of the zoomed out big picture and looking at um, some of just the aspects of education and then some of the challenges as well as um, some big picture ideas on how to approach this and this new learning that's going on. But this time... Like Pastor Cliff was just saying, we're going to get a little bit more practical. We're going to get into um, some of the specific things that you can do. And so we're here with uh, Dr. Nathan Herzog again, I'm the Dean of Education at William Jessup University Hello. and a parent of three teenagers. <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, yeah, um, we, you know, we're going to just start right in. Um, you know, we kind of picked up last time talking a little bit about uh, the different things, the different roles that we as parents can start having in terms of leading um, with schooling, leading with education, because it's more of a family-centered environment. And and uh, and we know that for some of you, the, the biggest challenge, and this is just with teens in general, right? But now it's in another sphere, which is their education, is how we can keep the students motivated and focused during this season. And uh, and so we talked about this tiny bit at the end of the last episode, but um, but you know, Nate, how would you how would you kind of encourage parents to motivate and help their students to focus? And then I'm going to put a caveat on there, a little qualifier. Um, some of you have students that they're super concerned with their success and their the achievements and, and their grades and they're in honors classes yep. and AP. And so they're sometimes already really motivated, but how they're handling all of this, they need some direction still. And then you have other students that, um, that they're very hard to motivate. They, they procrastinate, they get distracted easily. So maybe we can talk about that for both those kind of far ends. And then there's like a billion kids in between. Yep. Yeah. Thanks pastor Matt and pastor Cliff. Thanks for having me for this session too. Hopefully, uh, people find this helpful and always happy to encourage families and um, answer that question, certainly. I I think my life goal has been to protect children. Hmm. And, you know, fortunately, I get to work at a place like William Jessup University where I get to exercise that. And I think we can all see how it relates to education. But protecting children is my life's goal. Hmm. And in whatever way I can do that... um, and everyone is facing challenges. And when you think about children going through the stressors that they're going through right now, we have to first and foremost protect these children. And we need families to help do that. So to think about, to think about how we support students in building in a stamina for learning when they're faced with all these competing you know, uh, situations through media and other very interesting things, video games, friendships. You know, uh, there was a research study done in education where a teacher of, of 30 students took all their cell phones and all they did is they counted how many notifications happened in a one-hour period in that class. Yeah. There were 30,000 
notifications that came on those phones. Wow, that's no- that is a lot. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> there are an incredible amount of distractions at our fingertips. Yeah. Our part of our job is to remove those and not make them optional. Mm-hmm. That's part of our job as parents. Yeah. Not let alone if they're learning at our home. Yeah. Our job is to remove those so they can concentrate. And you know, some students can study and concentrate with music. Uh, but helping them work through distractions and attention-seeking notifications should not be part of the distraction uh, all the time. We should have periods of, you know, uh, being unplugged, right? It, there, there's another article that I read at one point that talked about the connection issue. And we are so connected that we're disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, Totally. We're so connected to people that aren't with us that we're disconnected with those that are right next to us. Yep, exactly. And that disconnection, I do believe that us as families and educators together need to teach our children how to have conversations with one another. Yep. And encouraging that and and removing distractions, having periods of being unplugged or unconnected to social media and other distracting things— I think resisting the immediate gratification, teaching your children delay of gratification, whether it's video games or dessert, right? At home, I think one of the biggest issues is the expectations around food. (laughs) And we all go through this challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, When can I get a snack, right? It's not, it shouldn't have access to that all day. I mean, none of us should. And, And teaching Children, those things are really important too. Um, so helping students stay focused, I think, is communicating and removing, communicating expectations w- with, with uh, snacks and healthy, making healthy choices with exercise um, and, and encouraging prolonged focus times without distraction can help with that. Yeah. So, so giving chances for them to not be able to have access to the distra- distractions in the same way as normal. So, so, yeah. so for some, that means maybe asking your kids to leave their phones out in the kitchen or something while they're maybe doing their class in their room. Absolutely. I, you know, we already have computers. I think even even my own children have said, "Can I use my phone while I'm in class?" It helps me do other things. And I said, and I often say, no, I said, no, use the computer, uh, use that. I don't want you hunched over on a little screen looking at, at things. I'd, I'd rather have you focused on the screen with your teacher and using that larger one anyway. Um, so yeah, I think uh, removal of multiple devices. And again, those notifications, I mean, that study to me was alarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, That's crazy. And Maybe we have less, but still one, two distractions away from the learning environment. It's our job to help children make good choices by removing those as much as possible. Which but, is really hard to get a teenager <laughs> to move away from the distraction. Something I always communicate is let's let's flee from temptation, which is a biblical concept that we see the Apostle Paul talk about all the time. Is you know, if if distraction is something that we pay attention to, well, let's take away the temptation to be distracted. And so like your phones, like 
You know, in even instead of writing your notes on your phone, you write they actually write them using their hands. What? I don't know what that is. Um, on a piece of paper. <laughs> but I do think that there's learning that happens when you take notes. Yeah. And there's learning that happens when you type something out rather than just passively, hey, send me those notes or the teacher has a PowerPoint for yeah. you and you have access. Still writing out your own version of Cornell notes yeah, or writing out an outline in a structure that you're familiar with. I think you learn while you do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And so encouraging that is, is yeah, important. I had, a, I had a history teacher when I was in high school and honestly, everybody was laughing because they're like, are we learning history or are we learning how to take notes? <laughs> like she was just so like if your notes were not yeah. perfect, she would mark you down. And, you know, in the moment I was like, that is what is happening. Like, why is this so intense? But n- moving forward, like even in a college, I knew how to take notes because yeah. my teacher helped me. So, you know, intensely, hey, this is how you write notes. So I definitely agree. So Pastor Cliff, what you're saying is actually research supported in middle school. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of middle school parents out there. I'm one of them. Yeah. And they say that in middle school, sixth, seventh grade, around that period, children have to relearn everything. Huh. Not not just subject areas. I'm not, I'm talking about tying their shoes. Hmm. And they have to learn it in a new way because they're in a new state mm-hmm. of mind. And as parents, we have to step back and go, I feel like I've already taught you that. We went over that. But we can't get frustrated with that moment because it's what's happening to their body. Hmm. Yeah, totally. and so we actually have to be comfortable with reteaching something, which may include study skills. And yeah. so this outlining piece—that am I learning history, or am I learning, you know, note taking? That's a real question you'll get as a parent. That's a real issue because often children, in their new state of mind, have to relearn it, just entirely new things again. Interesting. And yeah. from from how to say hi to someone. From when someone comes to the door, Manners. I want you to stand yeah. up and say hi to them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I want you to greet people when, when, they, when they join us. These kind of conversational relational pieces are really important, but it also is applied to education. And that'll be more evident when they're learning in your home. Yeah. And so just because they took notes well in second grade doesn't mean that skill is going to transfer into their history 10th grade, you know, uh, U.S. history class. Yeah. No, yeah. (laughs) I I have a question for you guys that I think is, plays into this factor on motivation and focus, Um, you know, with a lot of people doing video calls and there's this option where you can just have your name black screen with your name on it um, or your video feed is there. And, um, and, you know, a lot of districts right now, they don't they're not requiring teachers to ask. Um, actually, I think they're being discouraged not to because there's some laws and, and elements on that. Um, and yet that affects how the students are learning. And there's a sociological piece, I believe, that knowing that you're being watched, even if you know there's a bunch of people on the screen, you know you're a little bit more to account. And I remember even as an adjunct faculty at Jessup teaching the end of the last semester with Zoom, and you know I had 34 students and I had three that were on. And that made it incredibly hard as a teacher to keep going forward with the content because you couldn't see their faces. You couldn't see how they interact. See the reaction, yeah. Um, and so we were even talking with our middle schooler about this, about, hey, we really want you to turn your screen on. And of course, there's resistance. What, what do you guys think on that? Does that help 
focus and motivation or or does that kind of a a moot point i mean it's 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 interesting as as the mind of a teenager they're obviously going to say no they don't want to have their screen on but i would guarantee you i, I this isn't you know founded i'm not like a doctor but i will say <laughs> um i will say that majority of the teenagers don't want their screen on because the accountability piece mm-hmm. um and uh, as their screen is off, they can scroll through whatever on their computer or their phone they can want and they can check out. Um, and unfortunately, teenagers have this idea. It's kind of built in their DNA to where it's like, the less I can do and still get good grades, the less I'm going to do. Because <laughs> I think a lot of teenagers care. They may say they don't care about about grades, but they do. Um, but they're going to do the least amount of work sometimes, hmm. which is frustrating as a parent <laughs> and an educator. Yeah, this is. I'm going to share my preference. Uh, no research behind it yet, but um, I obviously put your put yourself in the in the seat of the educator, and you love and care for your students. Is it going to be better for that student to have their camera on or off? On for sure. Okay, so if that's the answer, then. As parents, it's our job to communicate that expectation to your child. Instead of getting frustrated or confused, just say, hey, I expect you to have your camera on the entire time your teacher is there with you. That's the end of the, it's not, it's not an option. Hey, would you like to do this? That's, that doesn't matter. The best position for your teacher to educate you is with your camera on. And, and encouraging your children to do that and checking in on them is, is a really good thing to do. Yep. But now, I mean, I, I submit that I'm not in every family. There may be situations where having the camera off is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly the mic. I, I am fortunate enough where I don't have six people all learning in the same room. Um, but I have experienced others that, that are trying to go through that. And it can be particularly challenging when in your camera, there's a lot going on and it can be distracting to other learners. So with, you know, in consultation with the family, I would encourage everyone, put your camera on, make it easier for the educator to get to know you, to be part of your learning experience. And I've seen some really neat things. My kids have done a period of show and tell. They're, all the kids show their dogs at the same time. The teacher takes 60 <laughs> seconds. Everyone show your dog or your pet or whatever, and everyone does it. It's kind of a neat thing you can never do in a classroom. Yeah, totally. Uh, they've done some scavenger hunt. And just one or two minutes doing these little things uh-huh. where if you're not going to be engaged in. Yeah. Could you imagine, I can't, having a group of students for two months and then already having a good relationship with half of them and then this whole new population you meet for the first time in November and you're like oh wow you are that student and you've never seen them before yeah it's crazy allow the relationship to be built between the child and the teacher and encourage that camera to be on yeah that's that yeah that's that's super good I, I would agree with that yeah I appreciate uh, both of your answers on that oh, okay. so. <laughs> you're, you're welcome um well, well that Nate, was just for me <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fine um well uh Nate, at the end of last episode, you said that you were going to share a list that was very, very important to you. And for uh, I'm honestly, this is just for me, the curiosity of of me. What what was that list that you'd like to share with? Parents? Okay, yeah. So families are 
going through subjects and having challenges and don't have all the answers for these grade levels and subject areas where, you know, there's subject specific and developmentally appropriate pedagogy that educators are trained with, you know, how do I bring this lesson to a fifth grader that's learning science? And they can adapt that for an eighth grader learning English. And families don't have that pedagogy or what is known as the art of teaching and skill to be able to navigate this, the variety of issues that go along with developmental levels and subject areas. But there are incredible resources that have exploded online for parents and families, printable worksheets, videos and tutorials on subject areas and grade levels that you can click on a button and learn along with your child. One of which that is mostly used is Khan Academy. Have you guys heard of that? Uh Mm -hmm. It's very popular. It was used before COVID. Wonderful resource, subjects, grade levels, all levels, a great resource. I'd encourage, it's free. Weareteachers.com. And this is actually built for homeschool learning environments. Weareteachers.com. If you go there, you're going to find some wonderful resources that you can use and print and, and utilize. Another one is PBIS Rewards. PBIS is Positive Behavior Intervention and Support. It's a classroom management program, uh, but a lot of skills around with around motivation, around attention, uh, inspiration, and and behavior that tie into learning. Uh, are you can be found there. I know some some behavioral issues can even happen in the home. You might find resources that you can use as a family or parent at that website as well. Uh, CommonSense.org is another website. Uh, wonderful K to 12 resources that have been increased since COVID 19. Online Learning Consortium.org is another website. And then the last one that I'm going to share today is teachersoftomorrow.org. And, and all of those, so I listed six. If you take those six and figure out which one fits your needs and your situation more, depending on your advanced learner or a special needs child in your home, um, just try to use one this week. You yeah, know, see, that's good. See, see if one of these you might keep as a bookmark on your computer, and then the next time your child has an issue, say, well, click on that bookmark for weareteachers.com and see if you can find something that can help you there. Help children navigate and troubleshoot their own learning, which I think, I don't know why it's a secret, but I think the best students figure out how to teach themselves Mm, and don't become dependent on the teacher. Mm. They understand the subject, they figure out the subject and and the goal and they accomplish it. And that, that, I think we all work on that. We all realize that how do I get better at teaching myself and encouraging that. So these, there's six resources that are very helpful that have been um, elevated and intensified during this time. Yeah. And man, those are all really great resources. So if you didn't really catch them, rewind this podcast and just go back like two minutes and you can just write them all down. And, and I'm going to up the challenge just one one more notch on that too. And I always want to encourage you parents that um, maybe when you're starting to wind down at night and you know maybe your routine, I don't know everyone's routine or patterns because everyone gets up at different times, but maybe you're a, we're going to watch a show, but you and your spouse or, you know, you're, you're there and you're watching a show, but you're still doing stuff on your phone <laughs> or, or you're trying to multitask, you know, 
maybe make it a, a challenge for yourself to go, I'm going to spend five minutes to look at one of these sites before I either start watching the show or if I'm going to do something in the background, that's what I'm going to do. And that way you don't just enter just freely into an escapism, but you're going, hey, as I'm having some rest and wind down time, I'm just going to give my brain a chance to just take a look at these and to see. And that way you just open the door and you're glancing in the shop and then that might make you want to go back in. Um, but, I, but I encourage you to do that because if you don't have a time when you're going to do that, you, you'll always have it on the bookmark, but you won't always access it until maybe you're, you're more desperate. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think most people in this season are watching more shows or yeah, movies. Definitely. And so if you just make that a, a practice in the first few minutes, I, I think that would be good. So Cobra Kai is on, on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another good question I think is worth asking is what are some good questions to ask your teens about how things are going or what they're working on? What are some mm. ways to approach that, especially if you have teens that, uh, I don't know. That's the girls. That's most teens. Right there. <laughs> that's, how, that's how they sound too. No, I no. I mean, some kids are. You know, some families that you're you're blessed that sometimes you can't get your kids to stop talking, mm-hmm. and so they'll share all the stuff they're learning. But sometimes you don't know what they're working on, and maybe you don't know their challenges because of that. Yep. It's it's this is very important. I think I even in this session I was talking about mental health. And even last session, I talked about the importance of mental health and, you know, to, to clue into this, your students and, and how they're being affected, ask about their feelings. Don't ask them how their day was. Ask them, what, was there anything that made you feel uncomfortable today? Or did you get excited about, ask them about their feelings that they can't respond yes or no to. So when you get into the feelings, did anything that your teacher taught make you get interested in a job in the future? Hmm. That's a good question. And and lead them into their feelings and future goals that then helps you get to know them as a person. Yeah. And and understand who they are and what makes them. You know, last year I, I luckily lucky enough I scheduled an RV trip for two weeks. And we spent two weeks on the road trapped in an RV with my three kids and wife. And that was such a great moment because we really got to understand each other. And what I got to share with my kids is what I'm going to say right now. And that is, if I do anything as your dad, I want you to be you. I don't want you to try to be someone else. So if you can share with me your feelings at times, I want to know about your true heart rather than what you think I want you, what you think I want to hear. And that has stuck with my kids all year. Um, but really, I want, I want teachers and educators, I want families to be themselves. John Eldridge writes, you know, don't apologize for who you are. Yeah. Let the full weight of who you are fall onto others. Hmm. And, and really, we, that's what we want. Isn't that what we want? We want everyone to be their true best self. Yeah. And then we can get closer to the identity of Christ. And if I get to know you better, Pastor Matt, then I'm going to truly get closer to my understanding of creation and Christ. And we have to encourage our children to do that. Um, And so asking them questions that get to their feelings and their emotion and what drives them and where they feel pressure 
yeah. and try to remove those barriers that they're having, I think I think that's part of our jobs as parents too. Yeah, that's 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 really good. Something else we talked before we started recording recording this episode is what are what are some things that families can do outside of the schooling um, concept, kind of outside the Zoom calls, outside the you know nine to two thirty. Uh, PM every day that affects their schooling. So what what are some things that families can do outside? Um, sometimes not literally outside, but some things outside of the cooling, schooling aspect that can affect their schooling. Yeah, I mean, we know how critical, uh, you know, those, we talked about distractions and social media. Yeah. Obviously that has a huge influence. If you look at social media attendance and then the rise of depression, yep. they, they're hand almost hand. connected. Yep. Um, but, you know, besides that, I think as a family, we always need to be uh, the leaders in spiritual development. That That's the core, I think, of where our spiritual connection happens and where we lead how to be Christ followers. And so, you know, I, I don't say this when I speak on the news, um, but I think as a family, we need to exercise and demonstrate and model for our children the freedom to worship and experience spiritualization by being in the Word, by having periods of worshiping together, uh, looking at nature, experiencing and talking about God's creation and how what that does to your senses. Yeah. Um, go to Tahoe and look and just look at the mountains and and how could that be an accident? Mm-hmm. You know, and and then just listen to what your kids say. Uh, so I think uh, that these. There's a lot of things that affect our education. Um, there's the needs, right? So we have food, shelter, clothing. Those components all need to be in place without concern before a child can learn. And if there's any stressors there, um, then that could be challenging, which, which is why my heart is broken for you know, uh, disenfranchised or families that, that have had some issues where there's broken homes and there's a single parent that has to work and their children are at home learning. How, how do you manage that? How does someone keep their essential job and they have a young elementary child at home? It's really hard. How do we make that work? Uh-huh. Um, as a community, we have to figure that out. Yeah. We have to support each other so that those families can learn and have access to education. So there's, there's, a, a million contributing factors that all go into the right environment for learning, effective learning. And, it, and the problem is we, we don't have a quality there. We don't. There's a variety of experiences, uh, and, and how we navigate that is is trying to encourage people, I think, and families to find resources and support as a community for, for those, popula- those vulnerable populations that are being disproportionately affected by what's going on. And I think that's where the church comes in. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- we have an incredible network. Yeah. And it's pretty neat to see people still, you know, staying connected to Christ, even though they can't go to church. Um, there's populations that can't come, even if, even if you have your doors open, because of the scare of the situation. And, um, you know, I, I think that all of those factors— I think ultimately it, we need to stay encouraged and cast a message of hope, not a message of doom and gloom and yeah. scare and fear in the family. Yep. 
And as parents, we can't just sit around all night and talk about the issues of COVID-19 and the social unrest and the fires. It just can't be that constant and have the news on, right? That can't be our go-to. It has to be hope and encouragement. And that's what our kids should hear most from us. Yeah, and that and that goes even beyond COVID-19. Um, even when COVID-19 eventually ends, you know, hope, speaking hope into a young person's life is such a valuable and such a powerful thing you can do. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for that. That was, that was, uh, that was, that was really good. Yeah. And their relationships and their futures, um, when they don't get accepted into the school that they were hoping, right? Like there's so many different ways that the things we're talking about now that are principles, maybe for a circumstance we're all in is going to be something that in a year, four years, however many years, it might be a similar still dynamic. And a lot of these principles, these truths are are still the same. And so now, Nate, you had mentioned that there was a story you wanted to share that was kind of a personal, as a parent, kind of an experience yeah. that was very teachable for you. Um, and, it, and it really does fall in line with hope and encouragement. And, you know, just to be raw and honest for a second, is that okay here? Yeah, yeah. go for it. You know, I hope those people listening will forgive me in my, you know, in, in my realization you know, this is the first time in my life that I've been together with my family most of the days for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I don't think most people experience that. And what I found was in my connection with my, my own family, my three children and wife, was when you're, and, and this, is, this is the phrase, it's going to take 20 seconds. The more you're together, the more you have to encourage each other you can't rely on the past amount of encouragement that you did before. So once a week, if you told your wife that you loved her or, every, or, or, or that you, brought, you know, brought her flowers once a month, or you, took, or you told your children that they were doing a good job once a day, when you're together all day, you need to do that more often. So my realization was, People around me didn't feel the same encouragement before as they did before COVID-19. And so when you're together more, right, that concentration of encouragement has to happen more. Yeah. And so my realization was was hard because I was under I was trying to figure out why are people, you know, not not feeling positive all the time or having these challenges where our relationship was pretty strong. Is because I wasn't there <laughs> and they were getting it from somewhere else. Yeah. And now that we're all together, I'm understanding the flow of a concentration of encouragement, if I could call it that. Um, it pops in my head a lot, but I don't always say it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, teachable lessons and moments, I'm trying to lean into those more. Um, and with my own kids and my own family, uh, they, they've needed encouragement. Uh, and and I, I could not just rely on what I had done before, which we had a, we had a great family life. And um, I just was more aware of yeah. that neglect during this period of time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super good. I know that's, that's potentially encouraging for you as you're listening to this, that you are not alone. <laughs> you're not alone in the struggles and the realization that after within 24 hours, you saw your family, you know, 80% more than you did <laughs> yeah. before. 
and um, so many different parents and families are trying to deal with that too. I mean, can't even imagine the siblings seeing each other more, like yeah. a brother brother relationship where you see them fighting a lot more just because they're seeing each other more. And they're annoyed with each other more. Ex- exactly. <laughs> they yeah. They are annoyed um, with each other more. You're so right. Um, and we're we're running out of time, but uh, Doctor Nate, thank you so much for for uh, spending time with us and helping us learn a little bit more about how we can better connect with our kids during this time. And for those of you watching, uh, just before we close up today, I just want to remind you that in this time of connection slash disconnection, um, there's so many different things that each and every one of you are going through. If you have a teenager uh, who is just really struggling and needs someone to talk to um, and they just aren't talking to you, well, I'll tell you what, um, Bridgeway's got an amazing um, you know, next-gen department that is here to support you. Uh, both middle school, elementary, and even high school as well. So if you want more information about what we're doing here at Bridgeway, please email me at cwoodward at bridgeway.church and I can get you connected with a adult who loves teenagers and would love to listen and to talk with your teenager because we are here to help you. And here's the thing, if you don't go to Bridgeway and you go to another church, there are fantastic churches in this region, this area, and this nation that is more than willing to help you. I I will speak for the youth pastors out there in this world. They they want to hear from you. So you're not alone, and uh, please reach out if, if there's anything that we need. And that's it for us today. And you guys rock. Keep doing what you are doing, and we will talk with you very, very soon. Thank you for listening to the Engaging Parenting Podcast, hosted by Pastor Matt Bogg and Pastor Cliff Woodward, presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. For more information about Bridgeway and other content, visit bridgeway.church.